everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Welcome to the Other Side. I am your friendly host, Meg Gluckman, and I have a wonderful guest with me today who I have been looking forward to talking to for so, so long. He and I are in two different communities together, one that has to do with marketing, one that has to do with money, but both which are existential deep dives on on all things life-related. Um, I'm going to introduce you to Amara Atma. He is a grief coach with advanced certification as a grief recovery specialist. He's a board-certified chaplain, having worked with hundreds and thousands of grievers in Trauma One University hospitals, specializing in end-of-life care, palliative care, trauma, and critical care. Um, he's so much more. <laughs> There's so much to him. He has a dual master degree in traditional Chinese medicine and divinity and uses a trauma-informed mind-body-spirit approach to teaching and helping grievers from the many losses that occur through life. And um, I have gone to learn a lot about his coaching practice. He offers one-to-one virtual grief coaching to grievers on how to grieve and how to let go. And I am so happy to be speaking with you today, Amara Abba. I am so excited. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's such an honor to be with you on your most amazing podcast. Yay. And we're just going to have a whole lot of fun talking about grief because that's what people do, right? That's what we do. You know, it's like this universal experience. We all have it and we don't, it doesn't, we don't want it to always have to be doom, gloom, despair, right? Like, yeah there's there's powerful things that happen in our life and and you know it's like gets like this heavy feeling but there are ways through where you can do and apply ideas and techniques and ways to help us to get this feeling of joy peace and love and aliveness and happiness and an awesome perhaps even an unscripted life mm. Mm. Juicy. I like it. I like it. Will Will you start us a little bit off in your background and what drew you to working so much with grief? Yeah, so I, um, all right, here we go. Here we go. Grief found me. I didn't mm. find grief. I wasn't looking for grief. I wasn't looking to be a grief coach. I wasn't nine years old and be like, okay, you know what I want to do when I grow up? I want to I want to be a grief coach. I want to help people through massive life-changing experiences. No, but I did have an above average, astute and acute relationship to the emotional pain of people that no one ever talked about. I was the person already emotional scuba diving to the underneath iceberg of everybody's life. I could read tone and body language, nonverbal cues. And I felt like everybody was lying to themselves and I didn't understand why. <laughs> and that was very painful to have that experience. Needless to say, like I had, it took me about 20 years to understand that a lot of my pain that I had growing up was grief. And it was remarkably existential, held with very, very scary, dark times, very, very bad moments that if you want me to elaborate more, I can, but were remarkably powerful experiences and then it took me about 10 years to figure out what to do with that after I recognized that it was grief there's so little resources so little conversations 
And yet, if there is a lot of conversations, it's really in regards to one dynamic of grief and not really the wholesome experience about what it is. So after 10 years of just sort of figuring out what to do with it, I worked in end-of-life care chaplaincy and became board certified and did a long residency and worked very, very intensely around death and holding hands with dying people, supporting moms and dads and siblings and spouses and children through that grief process as well in major ways. And so it put me about eight years of practice into it and just really fully investing into it. And even then I really fought wanting to really do grief work as like a life trajectory and path. And then I realized it's not really grief work. It's aliveness work. It's joy work. It's peace work because grief is going to hit us all. It is an absolutely universal experience. And while we're also overwhelmingly afraid, I think of grief coming into our life, like that's how I've seen it. Like if it's, if it's like close, it's like, no, 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 no. That's going to be the life sentence that is going to derail everything in our life. That's going to be the thing that's going to put me into the puddle. I'm going to get stuck. And if I get stuck there, I'm never going to get out. And I never want that. And it's like, you know, beat it off like a stick. And then I just, I just realized, no, we're all going to experience it. And and then I learned face, embrace, release. If we can really own into the reality of the human experience, then it really can emerge us into something really, truly remarkable and truly special about life and almost in a sense of what life is really about at a much deeper level than we maybe even allow ourselves the opportunity to really open into. And then when I, when I understood it that way, when I, under, when I understood the specialness of a life lived with recognition of impermanence mm -hmm. and the gift of death, not just death of a mortal form, but death of parts of ourselves, mm -hmm. and then the rebirthing, the sort of cremation, the sort of funeral and birthday at the same time, then, then, I, then, then it started to make sense about who I am and why my life has li been lived this way, why my life mm -hmm. has existed and evolved this way. It gave me purpose and meaning. And, it, mm. and in that recognition, I said, oh, I can I can do this. I can, I can work in this level. I can work in this realm. Wow. Oh, thank you. That's so powerful. I feel like if you had asked me a few years ago, and this might apply to a lot of other people, if someone had asked me to define what grief was, I would have just said it's sad, it's sadness. Yeah. And I'm wondering though, what, like how you, it doesn't feel like it's just sadness. If there's something, there's more to it. How, how would you define grief? It's a response. Hmm. It's, it's not an emotion. It's an emotional response. <laughs> and it's an emotional response that comes with many emotions at the same time or none the numbness that comes in it's an emotional response not an intellectual one it's an emotional non-intellectual response that comes with many emotions at the same time often conflicting or even paradoxical emotions gratitude and sadness relief and anger despair and hope 
at the same time and thus becomes one of the most confusing and overwhelming experiences that we all face. <laughs> yeah. So when you talked about the fear of like getting stuck in it, right? Melting into a puddle of it. I have definitely had that fear of embracing grief. And I see that in a lot of other folks as well. Yeah. When, when folks say to you, I'm afraid that if I really allow it, mm-hmm. it'll just swallow me whole. Yeah. What's your response to them? I hear you and I feel you. And I, and I appreciate that. And that makes sense. And I'm afraid of it as well. And we are afraid of it because we have to recognize the nature of why we might be afraid. We are absolutely under-resourced when it comes to grieving. This is a universal human experience, a human uh, universal experience without universal solutions. Like it's an injustice to me that we're not teaching children how to cope with really difficult emotions, <laughs> how to cope with loss at a young age. How we It's an injustice that we don't teach how to cook and eat. It's an injustice how we don't teach like mind-body exercises for nervous system regulation. We don't teach children very basic things around finance and living in this world. We don't teach children maybe about sex and you know the whole experience around, around consent and love and love relationships and intimacy and vulnerability. There's like a whole gamut of like, education that I think are relatively important to help us and coping with loss is going to be something that is absolutely inevitable. So it is afraid, it is scary because we're adults and we are then exposed to grief and loss. And it's like, we're taken back to childhood experiences where we were never really schooled or educated around it. And so then we're stunted in sort of a growth experience and that is overwhelming. That's the fear of it. So we are absolutely under-resourced around it. And that's why I think we're afraid. At the same point, once we learn about grief, grief emotions, once we learn coping skills that are effective, when we learn techniques around face and brace release, when we learn things about normalizing emotions and normalizing grief response and different forms of grief, different types of grief, how what might we respond to it differently from another person, why we grieve the way we do, the factors of grief, all these different gamut of knowledge-based and education around it, then we feel resourced. Mm-hmm. And when we feel resourced, then we feel confident. And when we have growth in that confidence around experiencing that, there's a bit of an invincibility and that invincibility makes us fearless then. Grief is not the same experience anymore once we have that resourcefulness within our life. And that is the richness that we're talking about here. That's the richness that is what I hope to really serve in the people that I work with. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my my eyes are welling up. (laughs) It, It comes up. So I love this like resource builds the confidence that builds to invincibility. Like I so feel that. Um, I really want to share one story that's just coming up for me, um, which I think a lot of moms post-divorce have a similar kind of struggle, which is we had an impression that 
our kids' lives were kind of in our control, right? It's an unconscious idea that like we can keep our kids safe. We, you know, we will define how they grow up, what their morals are, what their habits are, what their principles and like beliefs are. And when we get divorced and there's a period of time where our kids are not with us, right? They're with the other parent. In this case, I work with a lot of moms who are co-parenting. So when the kids are with the other co-parent, we realize, oh, I, I don't have full control over what's going on. And I actually never did have full control over how my kids were going to grow up and, you know, how to keep them safe all the time, like that I can't keep them, quote unquote, safe all the time. And I remember at the heart of COVID, the beginning of COVID, my co-parent and I had very different philosophies or ideas oh. about how to practice safety around COVID, mask wearing and exposure and all this kind of stuff. And I noticed in myself so much anger coming up around not being able to control the safety of my kids when they weren't in my house or oh. with me. And I had to allow myself to go to the worst case scenario, mm -hmm. right? I had to allow myself to go to this place where something would happen to them and I would have to grieve, you know, a loss that they were hurt or even that they pass away. Mm -hmm. And when I allowed myself to like go there and experience what that grief might feel like, on the other side of that, when I came through that, yeah, that's when I had the invincibility. I'm like, I am going to be able to survive that. I'm going to yeah. be able to survive that most horrible grief that I can imagine. Wow. And I don't, clearly I don't want it to happen, right? Nobody wants it to happen. No. But the reality is I can't control yeah. that they are safe. For their entire lives right yeah. i can't control stuff and it was such a transformational experience for me like my anger was able to disappear yeah after i went there i'm in awe hearing you talk about this that is wow that is that is exceptional exceptional work to allow yourself to go to that level and to allow yourself to experience into the anticipation, the sort of imaginary experience about where your fears were coming from and thus driving control and anxiety that was leaving in control. It's like fear leading to anxiety, anxiety leading to control and the sort of like mechanism and spectrum of emotions, the sort of layered experience happening at the same time and surrender into it by embracing the fear, you became fearless. And then mm -hmm. it relinquished the whole anxiety, relinquished the control, which then allowed you and I get a sense of a better relationship with their their parent, their other parent mm -hmm. in a co-parenting reality there. Mm -hmm. And that is that's the emotional scuba diving for sure. That is that is very deep, deep, like meters down, hundreds of meters down level emotional scuba diving to give yourself that there. That portal, right? the grief and fear piece, right? There's grief is grief is never really by itself in terms of 
it's not an emotion, so it's a response. And so grief is connected to fear and connected to trauma and connected to shame. And so different different folks who I work with have a different re- relationship to another majorly core emotion that comes mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And this grief and fear experience that I hear you sharing was mm-hmm. very much entangled that by allowing yourself to tease it out, by allowing your body to go through that, that is that is powerful transformation, powerful alchemy, and a remarkable amount of relief. And I get a sense that it was a lot more peaceful for you afterwards. It it was, and it doesn't mean, and I'll just say this for the moms out there, it doesn't mean that I didn't keep advocating for things that I thought would keep my kids safe, yeah, right? That I kept making requests, right? yeah. Yeah. that I um, kept showing up in the way that I thought was best for them. It just meant that I knew that I could show up and do my very best and I would be able to survive whatever happened. Like, yeah, I just, it's not like becoming a puddle and being stepped no. over and, you know, relinquishing any power, becoming into the place no. of powerlessness and, 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 you know, no. And then you stop being a parent and you relinquish any sort of responsibility mm-hmm. and accountability. No, it's not any of that. Right. That's not it either. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and the other piece, it was, I appreciate you summarizing or showing how it was fear and anger and the grief, like all tied in. And I realized also for myself, there was guilt. There was a feeling of like, I will feel guilty if I haven't protected them. Right. And so noticing how guilt comes into grief as well, like that's another one of those. I think the moms that I work with are often dealing with a few different forms of grief simultaneously, right? That they're grieving the end of their marriage. They're grieving, you know, the loss of a partner, you know, who depending on if it was their decision or they wanted the relationship to end or not. They're grieving the future that they thought they were going to have. And they're grieving an identity oh. as, as a partner, right? And as like part of this family unit. Like you were talking about how like culturally we just don't have practices around learning how to grieve and learning how to be with our emotions. And I think for so many of us, we... When we think of grief, we think of a loved one dying and processing our feelings around that. Mm-hmm. But when we don't have something so timely or concrete where it's like someone has died, but instead we have this relationship that like has changed dramatically, but there's still a relationship there because we're raising kids together and we have to make decisions and like how do we grieve something that we're like still entangled in? Yeah, this is so good. You know, we talk about grief in divorce being a death without a body. Mm. And this uh, divorce is such like, that's so, it's such a powerful form of grief because you're right. It's not just one loss. It's so many losses at the same time. So we sometimes call this primary loss, secondary loss, minor loss, and micro loss. And we see these in layers of experiences. 
we sometimes call this compounded grief, grief things that are happening at the same time. Sometimes compounded grief might be, you know, you have a divorce and then you had a death in the family, right? It's like a uh, one major loss and then another, and it's overwhelming and it's hard to really tease out. And so how do we grieve then all of these losses that are happening all at the same time? Most of the time, I think that we're not actually accustomed to, to grieving it or to even recognizing divorce as a major form of loss, but it is. And so then we want to name them. We want to name all the different forms and not be generic about it at all, be remarkably specific. And even we have to tease it out. So just like, <clears throat> excuse me, even as you mentioned, like the different emotions that you had around your child and parenting, co-parenting during the pandemic, that it was fear and anger and anxiety and loss of control and guilt that were coming in. Those are a lot of emotions at the same time. So let's recognize their original definition of grief. Many emotions at the same time, sometimes contradictory or conflictual to each other. Okay, so many emotions at the same time, some with varying power and energy. Maybe your grief and fear were the most prominent, but it didn't mean that the other ones weren't there also. So teasing out emotions and naming emotions are an extraordinarily important part of this work. It's like doing grief work means we're doing emotional resiliency work and emotional coping 101. So emotional coping 101 is to name emotions. Okay, so naming them bullseye, like what is it? So grabbing, you know, our emotional wheel and going to, you know, wordhippo.com and finding different words that represents anger. What is it really anger? No, I'm infuriated. You know, I'm really annoyed. I'm frustrated. I'm indignant. I feel violated. I'm resentful. These are like a lot more specific. And when we get more specific about naming that emotion, then we're clear about what it is. And emotions are like humans. They want to be seen and heard. And when somebody feels seen and heard, there's a sort of relief. There's a connectedness to it. And emotions are somewhat the same way. If we make an enemy out of our emotions and we're saying, oh, no, there are good emotions and they're bad emotions. There are emotions that I want and emotions that I don't want. There are dark emotions and there are light emotions. There are positive emotions and negative emotions. Then we are judging them. And we're judging them, these experiences. But if we think of emotions like flowers, waiting to blossom and bloom, to offer off fragrance, allowing itself, its beauty to be shared, then what happens to any flower that blossoms? They wilt away and they die, becoming organic material for the future. <laughs> okay. We don't allow that expression. And so we don't allow the opportunity to name it. And grief can be like a garden bed of all these flowers that are stuck as buds just waiting, but we're mine and our judgments, like just block it. And it's, oh. So in some ways we want to befriend and kind of have a relationship to our emotions, recognizing that they're normal and natural responses that are part of a human experience that we're living. When we can sort of relinquish the judgment and shame, the invalidating, the minimizing of our emotions, the, the neglect and the denial and the suppression of them and allow them as if something that's sweet and lovely in our life, something that actually gives us something, just like joy, peace, and love, and happiness. There are emotions as well. We want a lot of those for sure, but we don't want all this other stuff. Okay, well, when we cut half of us off, then we've created a phantom reality to us, and we are relinquishing now the opportunity to truly feel joy, to truly feel the richness of happiness, and so by embracing the dark we are actually bringing us closer to what it is we are all actually wanting in our life. So first step is to really recognize that emotions are not the enemy, they're our friends. Then when we start to name them and be curious about them, 
and say, okay, yeah, what are you? Not just anger, but I'm infuriated. I'm enraged. Am I sad? No, I'm actually lonely. I'm feeling emptiness. I'm feeling a little bit of despair. Am I fearful? Well, I'm maybe a little insecure. I'm feeling a little shame. I'm a little inferior to this experience. I feel inadequate. I feel a lack of confidence. We start to name what it is that we're really going on here. Then it can actually bring us a lot of richness because insight starts to come from there. From that experience, we could do the same thing with losses. Okay. With the loss like a divorce, you're right. There's so many different forms of loss that are coming in there. Not just a future, a dream, a vision. You get married and you have people that you've invited. There's a ceremony. It's like church events. It's like you bring pastors and you know, you know everybody dresses up and you have pictures taken and you spend thousands and maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars on an event for a hope and a dream for the future. That's a death of that dream of that moment at, during those vows. And that's powerful. There was dating before, before that, courtship before that. You know, there's romance that is happening and children being birthed through that experience. And that dies. Oh my God, that is so powerful. So it's like a loss of a dream and a hope and a future and a vision that is being lost in that reality. While at the same time, a profound loss of identity. Because whether your wife or your husband or your husband, or your wife, or however the, the experiences that existing there, there's powerful identity connected to that. Identity in, and that identity led to like then behaviors, who I am as a person to them. Well, now that you're not with that person, now you're a single person. Now, are you dating? Are you exploring other relationships? Are you online and doing online dating? Are you now looking and trying to go back after maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years of being married and trying to get back into another life? And that's a whole shift in identity that comes in there. Then you're dealing with like rejection and, you know, like ingenuineness around people and, and authentic experiences of people trying to put their best foot forward and all that. Then we talk about the parenting piece and you definitely lose control because you're not necessarily parenting in the same vision or value system that's there. Now your parenting was maybe somebody else's value system and if they have a partner now, then they're partnering with that and that is now like a joint household with other children and step siblings, then it's like a whole other piece. So the varying levels of losses are really dynamic when it comes to divorce. And being able to name the secondary and tertiary losses that are there are just the same way that we start to name and relate the different emotions. So each loss will then come with its own relationship of emotions. And we can start to really then make it simpler for us to get in there. But when we take it on all at once, it's like it's like that tidal wave and you can't surf it. But then you get to the babier waves and you make them smaller and it makes it much easier to sort of work with. And you'd be surprised that when we can kind of look at it in that way and tease it out, then it's like, oh, there's like little, you work with the micro losses and the minor losses. Then you start getting a little bubbling up of spirit and energy and vitality and aliveness. And that feeling starts to come in and you're like, yes, and yes, you have more resiliency to work on some of the bigger pieces there. And through that evolution of growth and then with the kind of education that comes around normalizing emotions, it doesn't take actually very long for us to, to have that like, oh, okay, like life, life. Okay, I can do this. Yeah. I can do this. Oh, that's so powerful. I appreciate the the specificity there too, and the tool of naming the emotions, but then naming the losses. 
as well. It feels like, just as you were saying, like, instead of this, like, dark tornado cloud that we're feeling like we're in the middle of, we're pulling out, like, individual little clouds and naming them and giving them attention. And each time that we do, we get some relief from just paying attention to it. I I love how you said that like the emotions are just like humans, like they want to be seen, they want to be heard. And where my, my mind went to is clearly when all of this is going, is happening for us as parents, it's happening for our kids as well. And being able to be with them and help them name their emotions in that specificity instead of just, I'm feeling sad, right? But to actually get to layers of it and acknowledge for them the varying different kinds of loss that have happened, right? I think it's important Um, if we can model that for our children, then our children doesn't come up with a stigma around grief and emotions, then it becomes something of vulnerability and a sense of intimacy and a closeness and a connection that's based in struggle and recognizing that struggle is a part of that human experience. And, and I think that that's very valid and very rich. I think there's so much to be shared around this. For me, I feel like almost like a fire hydrant. It's like, I just want to share it all. Like I just want to make it easier and simpler, you know, cause it, I just feel like there are so many ways that, that we've normalized grief in our culture that doesn't, they don't actually help like the five stages of grief. They don't actually help, but actually they're really detrimental to us as well. They really, really massively invalidate the true experience about what we're going on and makes us handicapped in our grief experience. And so there's a part of me, and I apologize to your listeners, that it's like a fire hydrant over here. I just want to share. I just like, I just don't want to have really have to suffer so unnecessarily. <laughs> yes. Yes. Will will you speak to that for just a moment though? Why why you feel like the five stages of grief, which I think you're right, that that's what what any of us might know, you know, oh, what yeah. might come to mind. Why it's detrimental, why that framework could be not helpful. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is the foundation of the five stages of grief, and her work was actually remarkably seminal in working in an area of life and medicine that we hadn't really focused enough on in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and that experience was very much around death and dying. And so she, through her interviews, through her research, through her fellowships programs, really gave us a foundation around about how to work with the death and dying experience. And the five stages of grief came from that denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But the challenge that comes in with the five stages is that I think it, because it just sounded so good, five stages mm-hmm. of grief, it's like, oh, okay, every griever grieves this way. And it's not. It's really the five stages of grief is for the death and dying, not necessarily attributed to people who are survivors of their family member who died from cancer. It doesn't work like that. We do not grieve in need to organize stages. We do not grieve in this categorical linear structure. No, it is messy and it is dirty and it is, you know, transformative. Um, but it is not, it is, it is not these clear-cut stages. And so, you know, many people in the hospice and palliative care and the nursing world and the physician world 
you know, my wife is a hospice and palliative care physician, and she's like, oh, that's all we really learned was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief. And then you try to teach that or share that with people who are experiencing it. It's like, oh, it sounds like you're in the denial stage. People are not seeing this and hearing this. I'm just feeling like stabbed, you know, and like mm -hmm. gutturally like transformed in that experience because it just does not work this way. It does not. And so that's a misnomer for us. Mm -hmm. And then we try to put ourselves into a category, and that's actually remarkably detrimental to our emotional health when we're grieving. You've mentioned twice, I think, this face, embrace, and release. Yeah. Is a different way of kind of approaching the grief? When I worked in chaplaincy and I worked end-of-life care, I was one of those toxic positivity guys, right? I was one of those spiritually oriented, like, love, peace, light, you know, like, it's all good. You know, everything's going to be gravy. You know, we'll, we'll make it through this. God won't give us anything more than we can handle kind of reality. And I've learned very quickly how massively condescending and patronizing that is. And, and I had to learn a different style of being with that most difficult forms of suffering, right? Like the most, the worst fears being actualized, right? Car accidents where children die, you know, gunshot wounds that are happening at a party, the experiences of, of um, a ruptured brain aneurysm that was asymptomatic and happened like the day before Thanksgiving, right? Like, or Christmas, like these, these, this was my terrain for many, many years. And man, it was very powerful to sort of be present to all that. And then I realized it's like, oh no, the human spirit is so much stronger than we really give it credit for. It is so remarkably powerful and so face embrace release really came from those years of working there where we arrived into the grief we arrived into the pain we arrived into the sorrow and the woefulness and the the emptiness that was there and then in so doing in the empathic connection of meeting them when that experience was such a powerful way that it's like oh when we face and embrace what's going on there's the release. And mm -hmm. I didn't believe it. I did not believe it. I had to test it out. And I had luckily thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours to really practice this and work at it and learn it and do it for my own self and my own life and for my own family. And I really realized when I saw it, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. When we really allow ourselves to be in that experience, to not be afraid of it, to face it, mm -hmm. to not fight it, to flight from it, or freeze into it, but really allow ourselves or even fawn into it, but face into it and mm -hmm. embrace it as not something wrong or something that's bad or something that's dark, but something that's real and something that's honest and pure. It's so quickly how the release comes. People talk about letting go exercises. Actually, letting go is a very intellectual concept. Most people, when they think about letting go, it's let's move on, out of sight, out uh -huh. of mind, tuck it under the uh -huh. rug. Let's Let's just, oh, let it go. Oh, just let it go. No, it doesn't work like that. That's a very mental construct. Uh -huh. In the heart, let me say it this way, the heart can hold what the mind can't understand. Okay? And when we allow the human spirit to really allow into that experience, then it becomes a very powerful. The release starts to come very naturally, just like an organic process like nature does all the time. It births, it grows, it blossoms, it blooms and then it dies, it wilts away, and then new life happens, and it's happening all the time, this regenerative cycle, and that exists mm -hmm. the same way with our emotions, and the same way with our grief emotions as well. It reminds me of just the, the image of a toddler who's, like, really upset about something, and really has an emotional 
you know, the down on the floor, <gasps> like yeah. tantrum, like crying, sobbing kind of thing. Right. And it like works through their body and then they shake it off and they're off to the next thing. They've, they've allowed it, but it's been a, um, like you're saying heart, but I also feel like just a physiological process. Let's right. talk about it then a little deeper then, right? So yeah. like, you, you give me an opportunity then to share more. Okay, so fire hydrant moment here, guys, right? Yeah, like, good. Okay, so face and brace. Let's really talk about that then. Face. What does face really mean? Face means nervous system regulation. Okay. Nervous system regulation helps to quiet the mind. Okay. In grief work, our journey is 18 inches from the head to the heart. We don't drown in our emotions. We drown in our thoughts about our emotions. Say that again. Just say that again, because that is yeah. so good. We don't drown in our emotions. We drown in our thoughts about our emotions. So good. I love, I was just talking, I think on a week or two ago, an, an older episode about our sympathetic and our parasympathetic. So I appreciate you bringing the language back in um, yeah. to, to reiterate how important this regulating our nervous system is. And I know um, I see we're coming to our end for time here, but I know that you offer on um, Facebook, other places, maybe a lot of techniques for regulating your nervous mm -hmm. system. Do you want to talk about some of the stuff that, that you share over there? Yeah. So I've, um, I've taught yoga meditation for, I have a 15 years teaching experience of yoga and meditation and uh, I studied Chinese medicine, so I'm trained in acupuncture, meridian theory, and qigong. So I come from very rooted, traditional forms of healing. And I had an opportunity to go to medical school, and I decided that I wanted to go to a much more natural, integrative-based approach. And I saw the body in a much more mind-body-spirit-style continuum. And so these exercises are... You know, like a lot of times people are sharing a lot of, oh, nervous system regulation. Okay, shaking techniques and all that. There are techniques about how to do shaking, or there's techniques about how to do swaying and self-soothing and different areas of the body that you can do to access different forms of energetic meridians or points. And so by doing so and having a little bit more sophistication to it, we can start to regulate the nervous system in a much more dynamic and sophisticated way. And in doing so creates opportunities for us to get into different state changes that allows for then a deeper emotional release, a deeper things that are a little bit more stuck, a little bit more congealed, a little more constricted. And from there, then there's that richness of coming through. And so right now I teach a lot of really Chinese medical Qigong. Um, that's the foundation of it. Inherently what we're talking about is mindful-based movement exercises, exercises that are about purging and releasing and and helping with tapping and with shaking and with release through breath and utilizing breath in powerful ways for um for for release and utilizing the breath for release is so good for the nervous system and then self-soothing and tranquil based subtle slight movements that are very relaxed and effortless to build internal energy that'll help the nervous system that then makes you more confident and courageous to help with some of the work that comes in with the emotional stuff. And so once again, I, there's like, I've, I've done this work for a very, very long time. And this is like 20 years of stuff that's coming through here. And 
it's it's not an arrogance to it and i and i'm really conscious around this because grief is like so humbling every single time like every time i work with somebody it's like stepping into the unknown in that and that inherently is like who i am as a person is to sort of embrace the unknown but i think that while grief is a very universal i'm sorry very individual and unique experience for people i think we get stuck in very similar ways mm. and helping us to um, with particular techniques that help us in that way are sort of like that's like my zone of genius right like that's my 20 years of experience coming through to package it in a way to make it the simplest and easiest way but for the highest transformative experience that we can create in yeah gentle easiest simplest way but the greatest impact that we can have for our life mm -hmm. so good <gasps> so good doesn't don't you all want to work with him I know you do I know you want to work with Amar Atma. He's amazing, people. He's amazing. And we have just like scratched the surface here. We just ah. barely scratched the surface. Um, so I'm going to encourage everyone to go follow Amar Atma. Um, I think I follow you on Facebook, but tell me where, where you like to hang out on the socials. So I'm active on Instagram, probably a little bit more than I am on Facebook. Okay. Um, so... My Instagram handle is at Amar Atma Coaching, A-M-A-R-A-T-M-A -A -A Coaching. Um, same for Facebook is there. One of the things that I think I'd, if I want to promote anything, it's mm -hmm. the email series that I have right now. It's yeah. called Conversations on Grief. And I'm very, very um, active about sharing things in a much more dynamic way than social media. I don't, I don't, I share a lot on social media, but but the email list is where it's, where I think the real magic of these insights are really able to be teased out and I can put them into words and articulate them, I think, in ways that are easier to digest. And this is, this is like a very fire hose, fire hydrant kind of experience, I think, today, <laughs> just how it's coming mm -hmm. across. But I think that that's, that's the real good thing. I have a YouTube channel, channel that's in the works where I'm going to be sharing okay. a lot of different mind-body exercises for nervous system regulation, like guided meditations, breathing exercises, like box breathing and vagal tone breathing and um, physiological sighing breathing. So different breathing exercises that are researched and have a lot of resources now and leading like five, 10 minute, like kind of guided practices. So developing out a YouTube channel to help with a lot of these, these nervous system regulation things to help with that. And then I have a lot of online courses that I'm developing as well. So there's a lot of like resource that I'm really putting out into the world um, for a lot of these things. My, my signature program is grief coaching one-to-one. And eventually throughout this year, I'll do some group, uh, uh, group coaching. But right now, the signature program is one-to-one -one where I lead through 12 weeks of a transformative experience through a lot of what I shared today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who are your primary clients? Like who who comes to you for the 12-week the program? The people that come to me are the people that are ready. Yeah, the people that are ready. The people that are sick and tired of feeling stuck in their emotional experience, people who are ready to live a life that they're so excited about, a life that they're so desiring to be limitless, to really living their best life, to live a life without regrets, to live a life beyond grief that's unscripted. They're mm -hmm. sick of conformity. They're sick of trying to fit into a box. They're wanting to really activate something inside their heart that is based on aliveness. These are the people that are very drawn to the work I do. And these are the people that I want to work with as well. These are the people that have that sense of like, I'm just so sick and tired of being sick and tired. That that opportunity in a very short period of time can create some massive magic. And it's so freaking 
awesome. Thank you so much. You have given us so much in this short amount of time. I can't wait to listen back to this. I, I tried to take notes as we were going through, but y'all, I'm going to have to listen back a couple more times because there's just gems, gems falling out of your mouth every moment. So y'all go follow Amar Atma. He's amazing. And um, give him some love on the socials and everywhere else. And thanks for his sharing today. And I just deeply appreciate you and you spending the time with all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Much love to all of you out there. So much love. All right, y'all. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you are a mom who's divorced and feels really challenged by your co-parenting relationship, I want to make sure that you know about the free class that I have on my website. It's called Fearless Co-Parenting, and it's all about eliminating anxiety, worry, and panic from your co-parenting relationship. We know we can't control what our co-parent does, but we can control and feel more resourceful and resilient in how we feel about their behavior. I want you to have so much more confidence, resourcefulness, and calm in your co-parenting relationship, and I'm gonna show you how to get it. It is possible to feel at ease, to sleep well at night, no matter what your co-parent is doing. So go grab that class, Fearless Co-Parenting from my website, meggluckman.com, and let's change your co-parenting relationship forever.